To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. That saying, we are what we eat, well, there's truth to it. We ingest bacteria constantly when we're eating and drinking. Our stomach acid helps fend off disease-causing germs, but bugs often make it through to the intestines. They can become established as part of our normal gut bacteria, the microbes that help digest food, make vitamins, and support the immune system. Increasingly, the bugs taking up residence in our intestines possess special powers. They're developing resistance to antibiotics, in large part because of the overuse of those medicines. The risk of harboring drug-evading, bowel-dwelling bacteria varies from country to country. Depending on where we travel, we can return from a trip with some unwanted guests. Sometimes, the threat is right on our doorstep. Welcome to Prognosis, a podcast about health and science, medical technology, and the changes that are underway across the globe. I'm your host, Michelle Faye-Cortez. This season, we've been focusing on the loss of our infection-fighting medications because of antimicrobial resistance. And we've been exploring how we can find new ways to battle the crisis. In this final episode, Bloomberg's Jason Gale takes us to Copenhagen to investigate an unlikely way researchers are tracking this problem. He looks at what happened when one country found the threat lurked in refrigerators and on countertops, and took bold action to stop superbugs at their source. And he hears from Dame Sally Davies, England's top medical advisor, about why she's optimistic that we can mitigate the global superbug crisis. Here's Jason. Health authorities have been warning for years that the world is losing its most precious weapons against bacterial infections because of antibiotic resistance. Around 700,000 people worldwide die annually as a consequence of superbugs. That number is predicted to climb to 10 million by 2050. And one of the biggest challenges researchers have faced is tracking their spread outside of hospitals, carried around in the digestive tracts of healthy people. First of all, we have always had this need of doing a global monitoring of antimicrobial resistance. It's basically that if you don't know where you are, you have no clue where you're going. That's Frank Orstrup. He's a professor at the Technical University of Denmark and heads the reference laboratory on antimicrobial resistance for the European Union, the World Health Organization and the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. He's been studying the rise of superbugs for almost 25 years with his team in Copenhagen. One of Professor Orstrup's goals has been figuring out how to get around this global tracking problem. The biggest issue, he says, is acquiring samples that are representative of large numbers of people. When he says samples, by the way, he means human feces. 
to do global monitoring, well, that requires that you go out and get samples from other countries, and that can actually be associated with a lot of uh, you know time delays and problems, uh, logistics. Until recently, researchers could only grasp the superbug problem by the infections hospital patients get. But that's an incomplete picture, because healthy people also harbour multidrug-resistant germs in their digestive tracts. Because when it comes to resistance, uh, it is really a silent epidemic where it is spreading in that the normal gut flora is spreading between, you know, healthy people. And then it's only occasionally that you see it's popping up in the clinical isolates in the critical sick people. So if we're only monitoring critical sick people at hospitals, then we are really missing what is actually happening in the population as a whole, where most of the evolution probably is taking place. So Professor Orstrup had a two-pronged problem. He needed samples from across the world, and samples not just from sick people. So we were a little bit frustrated to say, OK, how could we, in an easy way, obtain samples from all around the world? Then it dawned on him. Airplane waste tanks are repositories of a pooled sample of faecal bacteria, and the specimens can be tested in real time and can't be traced back to their original donors. So there's no need to get permission or ethics approval. It was something of a light bulb moment for Professor Orstrup. Oh, wow. Couldn't this be a way uh, of actually doing global monitoring? So you, you could be sitting here in Copenhagen and then just let all the samples uh, come to you. So I simply pick up the phone and uh, give a call to the airport in Copenhagen and said, do you know anyone that's taking care of the, the toilet waste there? And um, I think that was Friday Friday morning I called and Friday afternoon we had a meeting and then I said, okay, well, that's, that sounds cool. Uh, let's, let's go ahead. Professor Allstrup looked for flights long enough to amass sufficient testing material and he settled on studying the raw sewage from 18 long-haul flights arriving in Copenhagen from nine cities across three regions. The results were pretty consistent among flights from each region. In general, planes arriving from Asia carried more drug-resistant bacteria. The biggest surprise was this uh, very clear pattern, and also that there was more resistance than we uh, had expected. There was a very, very, very clear pattern that where we had uh, most resistance that was in South Asia, then a little bit less in Northern Asia, and then the lowest occurrence of resistance was actually in flights coming in from North America. The results were published in a scientific journal over four years ago. It was just the start of Professor Orstrup's work on this global superbug tracking system. Based on the positive results of the long-distance flights and our results there, then we decided to go out and collect sewage from, from cities around the world. Next, Professor Allstrup sent out a request to collaborators around the world asking for samples of raw sewage. He was delivered sludge from the sewers of 70 cities in 60 countries. Once again, he looked for drug resistance genes carried by bacteria. It gave him an even better idea of how superbugs were spread out across the planet. 
We uh, purified the DNA, uh, sequenced it and analyzed the data and tried to look at, okay, what is the patterns of uh, antimicrobial resistance around the world? And basically, to a large extent, uh, verifying also what we saw and expanding on what we saw in our long-distance flights study, uh, we could see that there was a very, very large difference in occurrence of resistance around the world. Those results were published in March. They showed the globe can be divided into two basic groups based on their superbugs. There is uh, Africa, uh, South America and Asia. Uh, that's like one group. And then there's uh, North America, Europe and New Zealand, Australia uh, in another group. And uh, that, that was a little bit of a surprise for us that we have this clear separation in the diversity and uh, uh, prevalence of resistance uh, around the world. It was already known that antibiotic use drives drug resistance. But Professor Allstrup discovered something else. The main explanation in terms of occurrence of resistance, that is parameters related to sanitation. So how good is your sanitation system? Your, how much do you invest in your sewage system, the health system, and how well that is functioning? And then actually also parameters related to education. So we are a little bit surprised by this because I really learned that it is all about use of antimicrobial agents. But it seems to be that other factors also play a very, very, very large role here. Professor Allstrup gave researchers a better idea of how superbugs spread around the world. But once you know where they are and where they're going, what can a country do about it? One answer is in the Netherlands. A little over a decade ago, the Netherlands faced an intriguing but worrying problem. Famous for its windmills and Edam cheese, the country had a pristine track record for prescribing antibiotics. Doctors administered them judiciously, and hospitals were good at preventing infections from spreading from patient to patient. And yet, more and more people were getting sick with a particular type of superbug. Ordinarily, health officials could point to the overuse of antibiotics in humans as the cause. But in the Netherlands... Jan Kleitmans says it was hard to make that connection. Antibiotic use in humans traditionally has been very restrictive. We have used antibiotics, but if you look at the European rankings, we are always at the bottom. Dr Kleitmans is a consultant microbiologist and a professor of epidemiology at the University of Utrecht in the Netherlands. He focuses on healthcare-related infections and was trying to find the source of the drug-resistant bacteria in his patients. It was puzzling because they didn't appear to be getting these germs from travelling to a superbug hotspot. It wasn't a single bacterium that was the problem, but a gene that E. coli and other intestinal bacteria were harbouring. That gene provides the recipe for an enzyme that destroys most penicillin-based antibiotics, That enzyme is called extended-spectrum beta-lactamase. Scientists usually refer to it simply as ESBL. It made headlines after an elderly woman died from her infection. The superbacterie ESBL is found in the ontlasting of... Scientists had been given something of a tip-off about a possible source years earlier. A toddler in the Netherlands tested positive for MRSA, MRSA or methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. It's a very common superbug that causes deadly infections, except this child's germ was remarkably different. It was resistant to a group of broad-spectrum antibiotics called tetracycline. 
This was remarkable because tetracycline drugs aren't used to treat staph infections in people, but they were used in pigs. And the girl's parents were pig farmers. When scientists looked to see if the same unusual variant was in their hogs, they were alarmed to find it was there also, and in more people. The reason it was in the pigs was because swine, like most farm animals in the Netherlands, were getting a lot of antibiotics. In animals, antibiotic use has been high. We were among the higher users in Europe. Farmers would give antibiotics to livestock to prevent disease and make the animals gain weight faster. And for a while, the Dutch were doling out more than 500 tonnes a year of the drugs to animals. Professor Kleitmans recalls a student visiting his lab who culture bacteria from meat products. It was meant to be a small experiment, but it turned into a survey of hundreds of fresh chicken, beef, pork and ground meat samples bought from grocery stores in the southern Netherlands. The researchers analysed the DNA fingerprints of ESBL genes in E. coli specimens collected from both patients and meat, and they looked to see if there were any genetic similarities. One variant was very often found in chicken, so we call that the chicken ESBL. Uh, and uh, this variant was found in that old woman who died from it. Of all the meat types tested for ESBLs, poultry had the most. In fact, 80% of the poultry meat tested harboured these multi-drug-resistant bacteria. The infections they cause are usually cured with a last-line antibiotic known as carbapenem, the main concern with ESBLs is that they drive up the use of carbapenems, and that in turn makes more deadly carbapenem-resistant bacteria even more prevalent. In the Netherlands, the presence of ESBLs in bacteria in poultry was growing rapidly, and these germs seem to be spilling over from animals to humans. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Thorough cooking kills bacteria, but microbes spread in other ways. When raw meat comes in contact with chopping boards, cooking utensils, and the hands... These bugs can cross-contaminate food such as salad. The rising presence of ESBLs in meat was more bad news for Dutch farmers. Around the same time, thousands of people had become sick from an unprecedented outbreak of a disease from goats called Q fever. Coming after the pig mercer, the public had become increasingly suspicious of the way farm animals were being intensively raised in the Netherlands. The link between antibiotic use in chickens and superbugs in people heightened that concern. And that was, I think, the game changer. That had a huge impact. The thing that it was clear to the farmers 
that they wouldn't get away with this one. The EU banned the use of antibiotics as growth promoters in 2006. But in the Netherlands, farmers continued to administer them anyway, saying they were for therapeutic purposes. But the studies implicating antibiotic use on farms in causing hard-to-treat infections in people changed that, and pretty swiftly. Politicians wanted to get farmers to kick their antibiotic habit and do it fast. But Christiana Bruska, the Netherlands' chief veterinary officer for the past decade, says farmers and veterinarians worried how it would affect their incomes and animal welfare. Action wasn't happening fast enough and political pressure was increasing. And one day the ministers just declared in uh, the parliament that we would require from the sector to decrease antibiotics with 20%. Then the parliament had a motion and they said, no, 20% is not enough, it should be 50%. Dutch farmers realised the game was up. The use of antibiotics had become a crutch that enabled them to deal with animal health problems that would otherwise require changes in animal husbandry. The animal feed sector stopped adding antibiotics to prepared fodder. Certain critical antibiotics were banned or restricted for veterinary use, and systems were put in place to track the amount of antibiotics used by each industry and by each farm. The number of prescriptions dispensed by veterinarians was counted by an independent authority. Plus, Dr Bruska says legislation was introduced to strengthen the position of veterinarians. The United States, for a comparison, has implemented restrictions too. As of 2017, drugs that are important to human health aren't allowed to be used for growth promotion or feed efficiency. There are signs it's led to a reduction in antibiotic sales. Still, the latest data show injectable antibiotics are used on almost 90% of US pig farms and 80% of cattle feedlots. And the US lacks the level of oversight and control that the Netherlands has put in place. For example, a farmer has to have one dedicated veterinarian who works on his farm and he's not allowed to have somebody else. So a farmer is not allowed to go shopping. Like if I can't get it with my own veterinarian, I'll go to somebody else. That's not possible anymore. In just a couple of years, the Netherlands managed to reduce by half the volume of antibiotics used on farms. That showed us that a 50 percent reduction didn't have to be the end. It was like the low-hanging fruit. And the concern some of the farmers and veterinarians voiced about the economic and animal health impact also turned out to be unfounded. Antibiotic volumes have fallen by two-thirds over the past decade without any discernible impact on farm economics or animal welfare. But more importantly, the superbugs that were being detected on poultry meat they have declined too. So when we started this policy, we hoped that the resistance levels wouldn't further increase. But what we've seen is that over the years, consistently every year, the resistance levels go down. Surveys have found that about two out of every five samples of raw chicken meat bought from Dutch retailers harbour these ESBL-producing germs. That's down from four out of five samples 
10 years ago. Professor Jan Kleitmont says there is wide variation across brands, but overall, the policy of reducing the use of antibiotics on farms has had a beneficial impact, and it's spurring the Dutch government to continue to look for ways to drive down usage. The Netherlands isn't exactly unique or the first to reduce the use of antibiotics on farms. Nordic countries were pioneers on this front. But still, there's a lot of interest from other countries about the Dutch experience and what it can teach them. Dr. Bruska says it's just one example of how the drug resistance crisis can be mitigated where there is the political will to reduce antibiotic use. Other countries are following. France, Germany and the UK have implemented measures to curb antibiotic use on farms. In the United States, a five-year action plan for supporting antimicrobial stewardship in animal health was released 12 months ago. But experts say the country is lagging behind. I asked James Johnson, a professor of medicine at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis, He's also an infectious disease consultant at the city's Veterans Affairs Medical Centre and he's been working in the field for more than 30 years. He says there's a dearth of data to indicate what role antibiotic use on farms is playing in the spread of superbugs in people. So there isn't the same level of public outcry that led the Netherlands to wean its farmers off antibiotics. An absence of data doesn't mean an absence of a link perhaps more uh, reticence to study it. This is a challenge in the U.S. The producers have been very good about, I would say, stonewalling and putting out a smokescreen about there's nothing, no problem here, farms have nothing to do with it, leave us alone. The evidence just isn't there. And they're doing their best to keep anyone from doing the science that would be able to answer the questions that would lead, maybe clarify some of the uncertainty. In the U.S. and most parts of the world, It's impossible to know exactly where superbugs are coming from, whether it's from drug resistance caused by the antibiotics we humans take or the ones we give to farm animals. Locating the source of these bugs and stopping them from spreading are two of the biggest challenges in the fight against antimicrobial resistance. And time is crucial in this fight. Millions more lives are predicted to be lost as a result of superbugs in the coming years. Multi-drug resistant bacteria are not only claiming lives through vicious infections, but making treatments such as chemotherapy even riskier. In countries like India, cancer patients are dying from infections as a result of their chemo. These tragic cases could soon become common in more countries. I have predicted for some years now we would get to the point where doctors would be saying to cancer patients, hmm, I could cure your cancer, but you'll get an infection that might kill you. In some parts of the world, as, as you have heard, that is becoming a reality because we all carry bacteria in our guts and some of them may well be uh, resistant to standard treatments. But we can stop that happening. We can get new antibiotics if we only invest in the pipeline. This is Professor Sally Davies. She leaves her post as the UK's Chief Medical Officer at the end of September, but she'll continue to tackle the global problem as her government's special envoy on antimicrobial resistance. 
Dame Sally says there's also a financial cost to the rise of superbugs. The global economy is predicted to lose $100 trillion in economic output by 2050. But despite the lives at stake and the devastating effect antimicrobial resistance could have on the economy, Dame Sally is optimistic about our ability to beat back superbugs. A review her government commissioned three years ago found the calamity could be avoided, but it requires spending $42 billion over a decade on new medical and pharmaceutical tools and promoting ways to curb antibiotic use. That's a fraction of the amount spent rescuing banks during the global financial crisis. The return on investment is clear. If we invest now in infection prevention control, if we invest now in better diagnostics, if we invest now in new treatments, it will pay off dramatically, not just in human lives and suffering, but actually in keeping our hospitals open and working so that we can look after patients. A crucial piece of that financing, she says, needs to go toward developing new antibiotics and other treatments. And when I talked to the experts, it was absolutely clear they could all articulate the problem, but none of them could see a way through that problem. And for them, the amounts of money seemed immense, whereas we know, compared with what was given to banks to bail them out or what's spent on making a blockbuster film, it is not immense. It is proportionate and the lives saved could be amazing. So I thought someone needed to take some action and I decided to push our government to take action. Dame Sally says there's been progress, but we can't afford to lose the momentum. In England, antibiotic use on farms has decreased 40% in four years. Internationally, drug resistance is being discussed by world leaders, including at the United Nations General Assembly. Countries are developing national action plans, and more money is being spent on fighting antimicrobial resistance. What's more, the crisis is garnering media attention. That's raising the alarm that people everywhere are dying from infections once cured with a handful of pills. And Dame Sally says public outrage over the spread of superbugs will motivate governments to do more to tackle this global threat. I believe we can get on top of this, and there are good signs. We know that it's a natural phenomenon for infective organisms to develop resistance, and then they multiply. So what we have to do is use much less of the anti-infectives, the antibiotics for bacteria. Just as superbugs have adapted to our treatments, we have to find new ways to adapt to their resistance. Maybe it's doing work like Bill Gates. The Microsoft co-founder is investing in waterless toilets to stop spreading bacteria through sewage. Or it's hospitals like the Austin in Melbourne, where doctors are using simple practices that went out of style as we became more reliant on antibiotics. Now the Austin uses bleach to clean and kill superbugs and isolates patients harbouring them. In the age of evolving superbugs, we have to evolve too. 
that's it for this season of Prognosis. Thanks so much for listening. Do you have a story about healthcare in the U.S. or around the world? We want to hear from you. Find me on Twitter at Faye Cortez or email mcortez at bloomberg.net. If you were a fan of this episode, please take a moment to rate and review us. It really helps new listeners find the show. And don't forget to subscribe. This episode was produced by Topher Forges. Our story editor was Rick Shine. Special thanks to Drew Armstrong, our healthcare team leader. Francesca Levy is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll be back with a new episode soon. But until then, you can see what our health team is up to by going to www.bloomberg.com prognosis. See you soon. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.